Chapter 21 The grail is a weight so heavy that creatures in the bondage of sin are unable to move it from its place. Wolfram von Eschenbach, Parzival, Roman 9, 477 I hadn't taken to the colonel, yet he had piqued my interest. You can be fascinated even by a tree frog if you watch it long enough. I was savoring the first drops of the poison that would carry us all to perdition. I went back to see Belbo the following afternoon, and we talked a little about our visitor. I went back to see Belbo the following afternoon, and we talked a little about our visitor. Belbo said the man had seemed a mythomaniac to him. Did you notice how he quoted that Rakoski or Rostropovich as if the man were Kant? But these are typical old tales, I said. Ingolf was a lunatic who believed them, and the colonel is a lunatic who believes Ingolf. Maybe he believed in him yesterday, and today he believes in something else. Before he left, I arranged an appointment for him with, well, with another publisher, a firm that's not choosy and brings out books financed by the authors themselves. He seemed enthusiastic, but I just learned that he didn't show up, and imagine he even left the photocopy of that message here. Look, he leaves the secret of the Templars around as if it were of no importance. That's how these characters are. At this moment the phone rang. Belbo answered. Good morning, Garamond Press, Belbo speaking. What can I do for you? Yes, he was here yesterday afternoon offering me a book. Oh, sorry, that's rather confidential. If you could tell me... He listened for a few seconds, then, suddenly pale, looked at me and said, The colonel's been murdered, or something of the sort. He spoke into the phone again. Excuse me, I was talking to Signor Casalban, a consultant of mine who was also present at yesterday's conversation. Well, Colonel Ardenti came to talk to us about a project of his, a story I consider largely fabrication about a supposed treasure of the Templars. They were medieval knights. Instinctively he put his hand around the mouthpiece as if to talk privately, then took his hand away when he saw I was watching. He spoke with some hesitation. No, Inspector de Angelis, the colonel discussed a book he wanted to write, but only in vague terms. What, both of us? Now? All right, give me the address. He hung up and was silent for a while, drumming his fingers on the desk. Sorry, Kasabin, he said. I'm afraid I've dragged you into this. I didn't have time to think. That was a police inspector named De Angelis. It seems the colonel was staying in an apartment hotel, and somebody claims to have found him there last night, dead. Claims? The inspector doesn't know if it's true or not? It sounds strange, but apparently he doesn't. They found my name and yesterday's appointment in a notebook. I believe we're the only clue. What can I say? Let's go. We called a taxi. During the ride, Belbo gripped my arm. Listen, Kasabin, this may be just a coincidence. Maybe my mind is warped. But where I come from, there's a saying, whatever you do, don't name names. When I was a boy, I used to go see this nativity play performed in dialect, a pious farce with shepherds who didn't know whether they were in Bethlehem or on the banks of the Tanaro, farther up the Po Valley. The Magi arrive and ask a shepherd's boy what his master's name is. The boy answers Jalindo. When Jalindo finds out, he beats the daylights out of the boy. Never give away a man's name, he says. Anyway, if it's all right with you, the colonel never mentioned Ingolf for the Provam message. 
We don't want to meet Ingolf's mysterious end, I said, trying to smile. As I said, it's all nonsense, but there are some things it's better to keep out of. I promised I would go along with him on this, but I was nervous. After all, I was a student who participated in demonstrations. The police made me uneasy. We arrived at the hotel, not one of the best, in an outlying neighborhood. They sent us right up to what they called Colonel Ardenti's apartment. Police on the stairs. They led us into number twenty-seven. Two plus seven is nine, I thought. A bedroom, vestibule with a little table, closet kitchen, bathroom with shower, no curtain. Through the half-open door I couldn't see if there was a bidet, though in a place like this it was probably the only convenience the guests demanded. Drab furnishings, not many personal effects, but what there was in great disorder. Someone had hastily gone through the closets and suitcases. Maybe the police. There were about a dozen of them, including plain-clothesmen. A fairly young man with fairly long hair came over to us. I'm De Angelis. Dr. Belbo, Dr. Kasabin? I'm not a doctor yet, still working toward my degree. Good for you. Keep at it. Without a degree you won't be able to take the police exams, and you don't know what you're missing. He seemed irritated. Excuse me, but let's get the preliminaries out of the way. This is the passport that belonged to the man who rented this room. He registered as Colonel Ardenti. Recognize him? That's Ardenti, Belbo said. But can you tell us what's going on here? From what you said on the phone, I don't quite understand if he's dead or— I'd be delighted if you could tell me that, De Angelis said with a frown. But all right, you gentlemen are probably entitled to know a bit more. Signor Ardenti, or Colonel Ardenti, checked in four days ago. As you may have noticed, this place isn't the grand. The one desk clerk goes to bed at eleven because the guests have a key to the front door. There are a couple of maids who come in every morning to do the rooms, and an old alcoholic who acts as porter and takes liquor up to the rooms if the customers ring. Not only alcoholic, but arteriosclerotic, too. It was hell getting anything out of him. The desk clerk says the old man sees spooks and sometimes scares the guests. Last night the clerk saw Ardenti come in around ten and go up to his room with two men. In this place they don't bat an eye if someone takes a whole troop of transvestites upstairs. The men looked normal, although according to the clerk they had foreign accents. At ten-thirty Ardenti called the old alcoholic and asked him to bring up a bottle of whiskey, mineral water, and three glasses. At about one or one-thirty the old man heard someone ringing erratically from room twenty-seven. Judging by the way he looked this morning, though, he must have put away quite a few glasses by then, rot gut for sure. Anyway, the old man came up and knocked. No answer. He opened the door with his pass-key, found everything all messed up the way it is now. The colonel was lying on the bed with a length of wire wound tight around his neck, his eyes staring. The old man ran downstairs, woke the desk clerk, but neither of them felt like coming back up. They tried to use the phone, but the line seemed to be dead. It was working perfectly this morning, but we'll take their word for it. The clerk ran out to call the police from the payphone on the corner, while the old man hobbled across the square to a doctor's house. To make a long story short, they were gone for twenty minutes. When they got back, they waited downstairs, still frightened. Meanwhile, the doctor got dressed and arrived almost at the same time as the squad car. They went up to twenty-seven, and there was no one on the bed. What do you mean, no one? Belbo asked. No corpse. The doctor went home, and the police found only what you see here. They questioned the old alcoholic and the clerk and got the story I just told you. What of the two gentlemen who came in with Ardenti at ten o'clock? 
They could have left any time between eleven and one, and nobody would have noticed. Were they still in the room when the old man came in? Who knows? He stayed only a second, didn't look into the kitchen or the bathroom. Could they have left while the clerk and the alcoholic were out calling for help? Did they take the body with them? Not impossible. There's an outside staircase to the courtyard, and from the courtyard they could just walk out the front door, which opens into a side street. More important, was there really a body? Or did the colonel go out with the two men, at midnight, say, and the old alcoholic dreamed the whole thing? The clerk says it wouldn't be the first time the old man saw things that weren't there. A few years ago he saw a naked female guest hanged in her room, but half an hour later the woman came in, fresh as a daisy, and on the old man's cot they found one of those SM magazines. Who knows? Maybe he was peeping through the keyhole and saw a curtain stirring in the shadows. All we know for sure is that this room has been searched and Ardenti is missing. But I've already talked too much. Now it's your turn, Dr. Belbo. The only thing we found was a slip of paper on the floor by that little table. 2 p.m., Rakoski, Hotel Principe et Savoia. 4 p.m., Garamond, Dr. Belbo. You say he did come to see you. Tell me what happened. 